Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron and I'm one of your hosts. There are three other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Anna. Hello. Danielson. Ayo. And Hans. Howdy. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we don't run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, well, there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. Today, we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over mermaids. Also, we have over 45 extra episodes, which is over 60 extra hours already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the Giants, Wayfair, Dreams, Sandy Hook, and much more. We have a lot of extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the shop button. Then you can see all the merch we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, all that good stuff. I just wanted to say, the money we get from Patreon and merchandise goes to bettering the show. Also, we know things are tough out there right now. So if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that is fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the contact button, and there you will find our email addresses. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is Theories Thursday. If this is your first time listening to us and you don't know what a Theories Thursday is, basically it's where we each uh, select our favorite conspiracy theory of the week. We research it and we don't tell the others about it. And then uh, we each take turns talking about it. So we each have our own theory that we've researched and we're going to discuss. And um, that is how the episode will go today. So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and hop into the episode. So who wants to go first? Who wants to be the first one out of us four to start it off and tell us about their theory for this week? You, Hans? I've got this. You want to read what mine says? All right, Hans. Uh, so yours, just the title of it says Spanky My Manky. There we go. Has nothing to do with that. Oh, okay. You just wanted me to read that. Yeah, I'm dirty. Okay. All right. So what is your theory for this week then? So, my little theory slash topic is over a UFO attack on U.S. soldiers, allegedly. So, this is over the 1977 Fort Benning, Georgia UFO attack. This takes place uh, in a advanced individual training. This attack happened to about 1,300 troops on uh, Fort Benning, Georgia's property. The story revolves around an author called John Vasquez, who wrote a book called The Incident at Fort Benning. And 
he recounts his experience as a soldier there. And so he said around 8 o'clock that night, his company of infantrymen were formed up, and there was 1,300 of them. What happened was they were all standing in formation, and they were going to perform a live-fire exercise. One of the sergeants behind John pointed out these two moving lights across the sky, and they were off in the distance, and he said, what do you think those are? Started a little conversation before the live-fire, and they... You know, I don't know, maybe some airplanes or maybe some satellites because they were small enough, you know, if you look up in the night sky, you see a star moving. Sometimes it's just a satellite. Well, suddenly the light stopped and they came in and they started getting bigger and brighter. And the drill instructors or I think they used drill sergeants at the time for this portion of their training. They all caught vision of them and said, what in the hell is that? So they're probably thinking, oh, you know, they're probably just some uh, Hueys and, you know, doing some kind of, you know, little thing. They'll fly over and we'll start our live fire. Well, they didn't. They started getting bigger and they realized that they weren't helicopters. And out of nowhere, these lights were followed by helicopters. They were being chased by Hueys. And from what John says, clearly... When this happened, where they saw them being chased by helicopters, they woke up eight hours later with a lapse of time. Who did? All 1,300 of these troops. Whoa. So, he sees a psychiatrist because he noticed some of his compadres are getting sick. And they're getting sick with uh, fevers of running 104 horrible rash burns, like, horrible burns to their skin, not like, yeah, I wouldn't say like second degree where it's bubbling, but, you know, kind of like radiation burns. Yeah. Some of them are actually testing to be radiate, like emanate, you know, rads. Oh. Over time, he, he sees a psychiatrist and they do the, you know, hypnotism. Yeah. And, uh, he's starting to recount all of this stuff that's happening that day. He's like, wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't know this stuff really worked. And he found other people from his unit that were having these weird dreams. And so the story goes that the instructors told them to open fire on these UFOs. And they sought cover in their little foxholes, their trenches. And that the UFO shot beams of light at them. And the people that were hit with the beams of light were the ones suffering from extreme illnesses that could not be explained. Now, there is a sergeant major at the time. I'm sure he's retired. Um, his name is Sergeant Major James Norton, who, who was stationed in Alabama. Now, he says he has proof that they opened fire on the UFO. He claims that he has a metallic piece from the crash site, and it basically holds strange properties. He has said that the hacks, a hacksaw will not cut it, if you bend it, it'll go back to its original shape. But he refuses to give it up for any analysis because he's afraid the government is going to take it and it'll never be seen again. So he has it buried on his property. Hmm. Now, what is also strange is that there's claims that one of the Hueys was shot down and that many people remember a helicopter being shot down, but it was never reported to the FAA. Kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. 
And also, there was reports that there might have been a uh, footage from an old footage caught on camera from night vision, but uh, I could not find it. And a lot of people say that, you know, John Vasquez made this up because he just wasn't that stellar of a soldier. And a lot of people try to discredit him, but he's also said that many other people in his unit were threatened with court-martial when they unlocked these memories, that if they came forward with it at the time of their being in the military, that they were going to be court-martialed. And what is court-martialed again? Uh, that's like being arraigned on charges and possibly thrown into Fort Leavenworth. Which is a prison a, for... Oh, maximum security prison for the United States Army. Okay. Ooh. Now, so no one else has came forward, correct? No named people have come forward. Hmm. Okay. It's a very interesting story. I have some, I have some theories, but I want to hear your thoughts on it more. Because I, I have a couple theories. You know, there, there are certain military bases that garner, like, lore through, like, any branch. Area 51, I'm going to be honest with you, it's really not that interesting. Wright-Patterson's Air Force Base has more UFO activity than any other military base in the United States. They have the mysterious Hangar 18, which is where apparently UFOs, the, the original Roswell aliens, that's where they were taken. They weren't taken the to The EBEs? 51. Yeah. They were taken to Wright, Wright-Patterson. You'll even read reports of generals talking about UFO testing at Wright-Patterson from the 40s on up. And, you know, for the Air Force, Wright-Patterson, uh, Camp Lejeune for the, uh, oh, the Marines. Uh, it's kind of hard with the Army. I would say White Sands Missile Range is pretty weird. That's where I saw a UFO, and we picked it up on a anti-aircraft missile radar. Uh, Fort Sill's haunted because it's buried. It's made on a, an Indian, or was an Indian reservation at the time. It's also where Geronimo died. Mm-hmm. and is buried. <laughs> Fort Benning, you have that missing uh, nuclear bomb that was, you know, supposedly fell out of an airplane back in the 60s, and it's just a lot of weird stuff that goes on there. Kind of, that's home of special forces. Well, not the true home, but that's where they a lot of the training is. It's Fort Benning, and a lot of testing goes on there. Well, if testing goes on there, do you think it's possible that they brought out those 1,300 people and they used, or, okay, let me back up, that the government has some secret craft and secret weapon, and they used it on their own troops to test it out? Do you think that's possible? I, I think anything's possible like that. I don't know when the first microwave weapon was made, but in my head, maybe that was the testing. The light, the radiation burn, because, you know, microwaves emit radiation, and what if they were testing it on these people? On these poor soldiers, you know. You'll never know if you're being tested on by the military until, you know, many years later. Yeah. Like Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Just like Timothy McVeigh or... At Fort Benning. Yeah. <laughs> Fort Benning. Look at that. And if you didn't listen to our Oklahoma City bombing episode, we did it last week. It's pretty good. Take a listen to it. Oh, yes. So my theory is, what if we were holding aliens there and they like, they broke free and we're like, yo, here's our spaceship. We got to fly. And uh, they're like, we're not going to hurt these people that bad. Just hit them with the laser. 
and just and then yeah, that the air final, <laughs> final yeah. farewell gift huh? yeah they're like yeah ha hope you enjoy this fever bud yeah i like that that was really good 1300 soldiers i feel like i've heard that story before hans you have when did it happen yeah 1977 i might have told it to you a while ago you might have i've never heard of that before something new it's not a it's not a really well documented one but mm-hmm. it's kind of like something I stumbled upon because I always look into weird things that happen on military bases because you never know what you might find. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for that interesting topic this week, Hans. Yeah. Who wants to go next? You want me to go next? I'll go next. I'll do it. Do it. Go for it. All right. So my theory this week is over the killdozer. So a few months ago, I came across this information or some information of an event this killdozer event and i was absolutely blown away because i've never heard about it before and i started digging into it and i'm like oh man i have to share it i have to share what happened because not many people know about it i mean i've talked to everybody about it since i've dug deep into this topic and nobody even knew it happened so let me tell you about it this entire topic revolves around an individual named marvin haymeyer Okay, Marvin lived in Granby, Colorado, and uh, he moved there, and he wanted to build a muffler shop. So the town of Granby was having an auction over spaces where you can buy, like, lots of land. Well, he went to this auction and started bidding on a plot of land. Well, another guy was there named Cody Docheff. And Cody was bidding on the land as well, but he had a person bankrolling him, like financing for it. Cody wanted to build a concrete plant there on the spot. And Marvin didn't know that. Marvin just wanted that plot of land so he could build his muffler shop. Anyways, um, Marvin ended up went in and paid like, uh, I think like forty to 50000 for the plot of land. Anyways, after the auction, Cody went up to Marvin, bitched him out, said, I was planning to build a concrete plant, blah, blah. Marv was like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I'm going to build my shop. It's whatever. So anyways, he built it. His shop became super popular. His business was good. It became his livelihood. He spent majority of his life working on vehicles of the individuals there in that town. And a lot of people loved his work and knew that he could be trusted. He was a down-to-earth guy and a, you know, great overall person. And he was making good money, too. Everything was good for him. But that didn't last long. So one evening, the city council for Granby got together. Now, Cody Docheff, the guy who wanted to build the concrete plant, he purchased the lot right next to Marv and wanted to build the concrete factory right next to him. But he had to get approval from city council. So the city council were discussing that concrete factory and if they were going to approve it. Now, there was an issue with this concrete factory building next to Marv's shop. The issue is that this would block the only access road to Marv's shop, so nobody could drive up into it. Of course, the city council didn't think about it too hard and about the impact this would have on Marv's muffler shop. All they had on their mind was the money signs from tax revenue from this concrete factory. So they quickly uh, voted yes, and the factory was approved. Marvin was pissed, so he decided to petition to stop the construction of the factory, which the city council was like, nah, 
We're good. We'll let it continue. Marvin was like, okay, look, I get it. You guys want that sweet, sweet tax revenue. Just please let me build a new access road so people can get into my shop. Marvin was like damned and determined. Like, look, you blocked off my access road purposely. I need people to get into my shop. So he went and bought all new heavy machinery to build this access road himself. And he told city council, look, I have all the tools and equipment to do it just to prove it so I can build a road on my own damn land. (laughs) City council again was like, nah, we're good. So the concrete factory started construction and the city council didn't care about Marvin's livelihood. And to add insult to the injury, during the construction of this concrete factory, the construction crew disconnected the sewer lines to Marvin's muffler shop. Marvin went and reported this to the city, and what did they do? They fined him for it, $100 a day, till he reconnected it. And it would have cost him 70 grand because he would have to, the way they disconnected it, he had to run a whole new sewer line up and around. It would cost him around 70 to 80,000. And the city was fining Marv $100 a day for not being connected to the city sewage. So that pretty much ruined him, Marvin. His livelihood and business was ruined. But instead of lying down and dying, he chose to fight back. So get this. His muffler shop was closed down, so over the next year and a half, Marvin started secretly constructing a twisted metal-type vehicle weapon. So you guys remember that heavy machinery equipment that he bought to build that uh, alternate access road that he was denied? Yep. Yep. Well, he took one of those giant-ass bulldozers and started to line it with three-foot-thick steel and concrete type armor and encased it in bulletproof glass i mean this thing was an absolute beast it was fully decked out he spent a year and a half non-stop in his muffler shop building this pretty much tank it was a bulldozer but a fucking tank it was huge. It had portholes he could shoot out of. He had his 50 cal mounted on it. Oh, I mean, it was an amazing piece of machinery. All right, so let's fast forward to June 4th, 2004. The bulldozer is completed. He's finished. Marvin's finished building it. He climbs into it and uses a crane to lower an armored shell over the top of the entrance which entombs himself inside of it, and it made it impossible for him to get out. So he had security cameras mounted all over. I say security cameras. They were pretty much like cameras mounted all over the outside of this bulldozer, and he had an air system hooked up. So whenever like, he got gravel or something on the security cameras, he would hit the air system, and it would blow all the debris off of the cameras for him so he could see. And he had portholes built, so he could pull his 50 cal out and move it around to the front, back, and the sides. Dude, it was crazy. Anyway, so he's entombed into this bulldozer. He starts it up. He, he drives through the wall of his muffler shop and heads straight for the concrete factory that ruined his business. So he's driving to this concrete factory and he starts destroying everything in his path, just running over everything. 
somebody at the concrete factory was like, hey, Cody, you need to get down here. So Cody Docheff went down there, saw what was going on. Somebody had a pistol. He grabbed the pistol from that person and started shooting at the the killdozer. It did nothing. It just bloop, bloop, started pinging off of it. So they got this big, like, three-inch rebar and tried to jam it into the tracks of the bulldozer, and it just didn't do a single thing. The tracks just destroyed the rebar, and it just kept going. So um, the police came, and they were saying, well, maybe it's being remote-controlled. And Cody Docheff was like, no, it's, it's Merv, who it's, it's Merv's. And he's the one that's trying to destroy my business, and he's not remote controlling it. He's on the inside of it, and I'm going to teach him a lesson. So he runs and go get. He gets his bulldozer, and he tries to ram into it. And as he's ramming into it, it's doing nothing to to Marv's bulldozer. He accidentally knocks himself out from hitting <laughs> the window. So he goes and rams into the killdozer. His head smokes the windshield of his dozer, knocks himself out. And then Marv gets his 50 cal and starts firing off rounds at Cody. Cody, like, comes to with these 50 round, fifty cal rounds flying past him. And he jumps out. It's like, fuck this, I'm out. So over the next several hours, Marv drives his bulldozer through 13 buildings, all owned by the city council officials, including... The city council building itself. (laughs) So during this, SWAT teams started swarming the dozer, but, you know, they couldn't do anything. All the small arms fire, it wasn't it wasn't doing anything. Even explosives didn't do nothing. They took um, they took a flash grenade and stuck it down the exhaust. Didn't do anything to it. It just kept on trucking along. Can you imagine in there just the giggling he's doing in there? <laughs> All I got to say is that's what we call sticking it to the fucking man. That is. It's right? sticking it to the fucking man. Now, keep in mind, he hadn't killed anybody. Okay. He hadn't killed anybody. He's just going around destroying buildings for people who wronged him. Okay. Now, they had trouble stopping this. They couldn't stop it. This killdozer. They brought in like these skids. These giant ass heavy machinery things that are meant to stop things. And it just plowed right through it and just kept going. Pushed it right to the side and just kept going. Nothing worked. So they started to discuss the possibility of bringing in the National Guard with an Apache helicopter to shoot a missile at it. Um, but they decided not to because of the, like, the surrounding houses and everything. They were like, nah, let's not do that. So uh, in the end, though, Marvin was still on his, like, killdozer driving around. And to this day, he's still driving around in Granby. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, he started driving through one of the buildings in town of the person who had wronged him. But what he didn't know about that specific building that he was tearing through is that it had a basement. So the right track of his bulldozer uh, became stuck in the basement. And he couldn't move the bulldozer anymore, left or right or back. It was stuck in the basement of that building. Um, And shortly after realizing that he couldn't move his bulldozer, he took out a pistol and ended his own life. Shot himself in the head. He did leave behind a note, though, Marv did, 
And the note said, uh, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. And uh, that was it. They ended up, took them like a long time to get the tomb off the top of the killdozer and see that, okay, he had shot himself. And they ended up disassembling it and scrapping all the metal. And all in all, the city council members, all their buildings were destroyed. City council was destroyed. The concrete factory was destroyed. But nobody was killed except Marv himself. Um, Another little fun fact. I didn't hear about this on the news at all. I've never heard about this on the news. Why do I feel like I have? When did this happen? Yeah, I've heard this story before, but I I never heard it on the news. June 4, 2004. But do you know why it wasn't that televised? It's because the very next day, Ronald Reagan died. And that the media, like, honed in on that. Hmm. Mm. I remember watching a thing on, a, I think, the History Channel about it. Went into that. I watched a good documentary on, I think it was Netflix, called Tread, T-R-E-A-D. Mm-hmm. And it goes into super detail about this whole killdozer things. Shows pictures, shows, shows how he built it and everything. And uh, interview from city officials who, of course, tries to make Marv out to be the crazy person. Which, I mean, you listen to some of his recordings and, yeah, he might have sounded a little off. But then again, I mean, he was having to deal with a lot of bullshit you know for sure shit man when your sewage gets disconnected and they're blaming you for it when you didn't do it and yeah and they're screwing you over day by day this is what happens when the government screws people over and then they always try to paint them like they're the crazy ones but when you do the deep research you take the time because something just doesn't add up and you're just like huh holy shit so you mean to tell me that you know x y and z had happened to have you know, Marv go from being a, you know, pretty well going, you know, a citizen, you know, had his own shop. People obviously gave him enough business to make it profitable to going from the end of the alphabet to A, B, and C to where he's just like, you know what? Don't be surprised if one day I get that bulldozer started up and I start mowing down houses and whatnot. I mean. Yeah, he was surprised that nobody found him or turned him in for the year and a half he was working and building that bulldozer. He even had insurance people come into his muffler shop to do inspections uh, on his muffler shop. And they walked by and he had a tarp over his bulldozer that he had like an outfitted with armor. And they were like, oh, what's that? And he was like, oh, I'm just, he he bullshitted him. He was like, oh, I just, uh, you know, I'm just working on a new cooling system for a diesel engine. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Like, what? That's just what the, you know, extreme stress and stuff leads. I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and do that. No, don't, don't, nobody just go out and build a dozer, but it, this can lead to people acting and doing the things that they do. Yeah. Yep. And they'll just push it off that he was just crazy and, you know, upset. Well, yeah, he was upset because y'all didn't listen. Y'all didn't give him the time of day and, you know, you just wanted the money. Corporate greed. Corporate greed is right. Shows what money can do to people. Preach, Brother Hans. I'm sorry. F***ing brain swollen right now. It should just piss me off with the corporate greed. Yeah. So that's my theory for Theories Thursday. Who wants to go next? Well, I can go next. Mine's pretty short and it's not as interesting as a f- armored uh, bulldozer. All right then, Dan. What's the title of your uh, theory this week, Daniel son? 
Mine is called Gallop Gallop Gone. Gallop Gallop Gone. That is correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who knows anything about horse racing? Uh, I used to know a girl in high school whose father was like five foot and he was from the Middle East and he was a very uh, popular jockey and he gave me a pair of jockey glasses with his autograph on it and he's like top 20 in the world. He was balling and show was she with she would always come to school with like Louis Vuitton. Anyways, that's all I know about horse racing. Oh. <laughs> I know. I know a little bit, but like, you know, my friend Rabbit knows Works with horses, and my ex's mom trains horses. I mean, I've been to the Derby a couple times. Okay. I've lost money, so it just wasn't worth it. I've been to a, been to one, and yeah, I lost money. Only $10, though. Yeah, yeah, it was only like $20, <laughs> but I was still upset that I lost money. Right? All right, so have y'all ever heard of Shigar, the racehorse? Shigar? Like a cigar? Kind of like a cigar, but Shigar. No. So... Shigar was a famous racehorse in, like, the 80s. He was a five-year-old champion horse. He won the Epsom Derby by 10 lengths. Anybody know what that means? No. You said 10 lengths? 10 lengths. I'm going to guess that many horses. 10 horses. That's correct. So he was a fast, fast horse. Yeah, he won the Epsom Derby by 10 lengths. That right there is pretty much the longest winning margin in the about 200-something year history of it. Wow. Which, you know, pretty amazing itself. And he also ended up winning, like, four more uh, famous races that year as well. But he ended up retiring. I wonder how much his sperm sells for. About 120K plus. Whoa. God, you went deep into this, dude. That's right. I wish my sperm sold for 120K. Or it went deep into him. Yeah, it went deep into Dan. That's right. I am now in debt for 120000 But, you know, not really because uh, Shigar is no longer living unless they froze it, which I highly doubt. But um, he was a British Bay horse, you know, with a blaze mark on his face. So that white mark down his face and he had white socks. So he had like little, little white patterns on his feet and made it look like socks. I like those. This is the story of Shigar, who was kidnapped. Now, it all started on a cold evening of February 6, 1983. Shigar had already already retired after his first season, which was winning the Epson Derby and all that. And he was moved to Ballymenny Stud in County Kildare, Ireland. So they were just studding him out. They were studying him out after he won all those races. Imagine that. You were a promising athlete. And then they just stud you out. They just, you just have sexual encounters all day long. That's just bad, man. Sign me up. Yeah. I'm available for stud <laughs> services. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so I was just like, he's kind of like living the retired life of being a stud, even though, you know, he's no longer racing. And th- like, this is when I found out that racehorse owners would pay up to 120000 for his stud services. So, you know, that's just every time he bred, that's just... Easy 120000 Now, a little side note here. He was owned by Aga Khan. He was like a billionaire spiritual leader. But uh, after like he retired, he sold the horse, or what they call syndicated, for $15 million between 34 shareholders. Yeah, and each share was worth about $382,000 each. Aga Khan kept six of those, 
shares for himself. So, you know, he walked away with a decent amount of money. Just a little knowledge nugget there. But back to the story. That cold night, it was like about 8 p.m. When the son of Jim Fitzgerald, who was the head groomer of him that took care of him at the Bally Mini Stud, he heard a knock on his door that night. He opened the door to two men standing with ski masks, but they were both wielding guns pointing it right at him. Then one of the men said to him, We have come for Shigar. We want $3 million for him. Jim, you know, at gunpoint, he followed them to Shigar's stable, where six other men dressed the same exact way, holding guns, were waiting. They made him load the horse into a trailer and everything for him, so they had no idea how to do all that. So after he loaded them up, and they forced him into the vehicle with them. So pretty much now they have the horse and they have him as hostage. You know, Jim's talked about it that night and stated, I can still remember that night in that car with them, lads. All sorts of thoughts were racing through my head about what they might do to me. One of them with the revolver was very aggressive. He said they drove around for about three hours or so until they just decided to drop him off in the middle of nowhere. After walking a few miles or whatever, he ended up finding a telephone and ended up calling his brother because, you know, 80s, no cell phones. He said that this phone call led to a series of different calls to many of the shareholders, then some of the vets, then racing associates, and for some reason, several Irish ministers. But the crazy part about it all was that all those phone calls, none of them were to the police. What? It wasn't until eight hours after the kidnapping was there finally a call to the police to report it. And by this time, the kidnappers were well out of the area. Now, pretty sure people listening and y'all probably just thinking, how hard is it to locate a truck with a horse trailer on it? Well, these men planned it out at the perfect time. They kidnapped the horse the day before Ireland's big golf's racehorse sale. So that there were many, many, many horse trailers on the road. So pretty much trying to identify a vehicle in the dark with a horse trailer when there's a bunch of them already on the road. It would be very difficult unless they pretty much stopped every single one they came across. But considering how long it's been since it happened, these people were already gone. So they weren't found. Now they did demand a $3 million ransom. So after a few hours after it was reported, the kidnappers started calling them. They made contact with uh, a representative from Aga Khan, even though, you know, he syndicated the horse. They were just like talking in code and they would hang up before 90 seconds would come up so they couldn't be tracked, which I always thought that was like a joke or just like something fancy. But I guess that's a real thing. So they were doing that over and over. After those negotiations happened on the phone, the decision was not to pay for the ransom. They figured if they paid $3 million for this horse, then all these other racehorses that are worth $1.5 to $2 million, they would be put in danger because then they're just like, oh, they could just kidnap this horse and want ransom for it and they'll get it. So they decided that Shagar would pretty much be kind of like sacrificed. Like, we pay you, we put everything else in danger. Rest in peace, Shagar. <laughs> now, this created a huge media storm because... People of Ireland and, like, surrounding UK areas, they love the shit out of this horse. Like, this was, like, you know, I guess you could say, like, an idol of the... So, a bunch of people, like, were trying to hunt down the people, try to find the horse. Even the Dublin police offered 150k for the return of Shigar as a reward. 
I mean, these people want three million, but you're offering 150k. So obviously, their funding wasn't very uh high, so they didn't have a lot of money. So even though these negotiations failed, a man that worked for a different racing team by the name of Derek Thompson had made contact with the kidnappers and got them to agree to negotiate with him. He flew to Belfast, where the Europa Hotel was the location for the negotiations, but somehow the word got around about this negotiating meeting that when he arrived, he was swarmed with a bunch of news reporters and journalists and stuff, pretty much in and outside of this hotel. So he's up in the hotel room now, had to get past them, and he's up there trying to negotiate with them to try to get this horse back. He said it was like being a film star. There were cameras all around, and he stated like there were about 100 cameras and journalists. But again, sadly, negotiations failed. And then supposedly everyone just left. And I'm just like, you had pretty much had them surrounded in a hotel. You could have taken some. Why you go inside there and torture them? Right? Damn. <laughs> Damn, Aaron. Just uh, what? We want this yeah, horse. We need to get Shigar back, man. I miss my horse. Like everyone left. No one was arrested or anything like that. Everyone just went their own way. The next day, the kidnappers called Thompson and said, the horse had an accident. He's dead. Then they hung up. That's pretty much where it just ends for the story. It's still an open case because no one has been charged or arrested for it. But I do have a little bit more information on it. This could help with who did it. There are speculations on who did it, which many fingers point to the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. Supposedly, the IRA was running low on funds and figured that kidnapping Shigar would work since it would have wouldn't have any dealings with being political. This was backed by an IRA informant by the name of Sean O'Callaghan. He said that the men that kidnapped Shigar took him to Leitrim, that the horse had become excitable and had to stop several times to quiet the horse down. That is when they discovered that Shigar had fractured one of his leg bones. The informant then stated that he was in considerable distress and not having any vet backup, they felt they had no alternative but to destroy the horse, and that is when they shot him. Shigar remains were left supposedly in the countryside around the village of Ballinamore, near the border. Probably said that name wrong. Sorry. Another reason why Sean came forward was because the shareholders were trying to get the insurance for Shigar, and he was telling them that he was positive that the horse was killed within 24 hours. So just a little knowledge nuggies there. And I have two theories all right, well, let's hear them. I want to hear them. I'm fully invested in this story. This is the most I've ever been invested in a horse. So theory one would be that the IRA, you know, did kidnap the horse because thinking that, you know, oh, $3 million, this guy's a friggin' billionaire. He has the funding to just pay it off and get his horse back because, I mean, he's making money, not even racing no more, 120000 each time he's bred, you know, stud fee. And probably he's still probably endorsed and stuff, too. But that's theory number one. And the second theory is my theory is possibly Shigar already had a broken leg earlier that day. And that this was a plan by the shareholders to get some more money out of him before they had to put him down. Because why would the shareholders all of a sudden like they would be the first ones called. They get they all put in like each share was like three hundred eighty two thousand. You know, there's thirty four of them. 
if they're about to lose money because a horse broke his leg, they're going to go for the insurance. And I'm pretty sure the insurance is probably really high on an expensive horse like that. So they pretty much hired some people. And I'm pretty sure that I'm thinking that Jim, the head groomer, was a part of it. Since he would have known that the horse's leg was broken. He would have reported it. And considering he called his brother first and not the police. So they had a plan to have the horse kidnapped, killed, claim the insurance, get some more money out of it. Okay, I like that theory. I wasn't even thinking about it being an insurance fraud, but it probably is. And you solved the case, Daniel. The IRA is coming after you now. Good job. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, they just kidnapped it because obviously it's like a business. You get so much per ejaculation. (laughs) So, you you know, all they'd have to do is like show the insurance company like, hey, yeah, well, here's like the total of the year. And they're like, God dang, this little. This little dude's been laying pipe and getting paid 20 mil, you know, boom. You know, right, writes the check for it. Nice. That was good, Dan. I like your theory on that, your second one. I, I'm going with that with it as well. Insurance fraud. The IRA's kidnapping him, trying to get more funding. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, it's because it's not political. We, you know, we probably won't get too much trouble for doing so. And, you know, that's probably another reason why that. You know, no one was charged. But then again, the shareholder one, they probably they probably know who did it because they did it. So that's why no charges are pressed. They're not really going for anybody, going after anybody. Oh, horse gone. Ooh, boo hoo hoo. Is the money in my bank account yet? Okay. We're good. Nice. Ruthless. It's a great topic this week, Dan. You really hit a home run on that one. I'm proud of you. Aaron's now gonna go invest in some horses. Yeah, he's <laughs> What are you talking about? I'm going to start a stud fee. I'm going to have a stud fee. Anybody want my jeans? Right? What's, dude, come on, dude. What's good? How much you charging? How much you going to pay? Just whatever it takes. Just make sure to have a contract. Do not come for right. child. Uh, what is it? Child support? Yeah, child, child support. support. <laughs> you, you, my da- you my daddy. <laughs> I love you, daddy. <laughs> Don't call me daddy, boy. All right, Anna. What do you got for us this week? Ooh, so mine is also animal related. Ooh. Uh-oh. I know. Mine is called the hundredth monkey effect or phenomenon, depending on who's talking about it. So this story starts out in Japan. And we're talking about the Japanese macaques or snow monkeys. So these monkeys have brownish gray fur, pinkish red faces, uh, short tails. They're only about two feet tall and weigh anywhere between 19 and 25 pounds. For this story, though, we're going back to 1952, where this island was being researched. And these monkeys were being researched for like 30 years. And there were other wild colonies around. But the colony that we're talking about is isolated on the island of Kashima, just off the east coast of Kaishu. During their studies, they would bring different foods to these monkeys to see how they responded to eat them, like giving them a coconut. How are they going to open a coconut? Uh, They gave them sweet potatoes. And with the sweet potatoes, they would get sand and grit on them. And the monkeys wouldn't want to eat them when they did that. So while studying how these monkeys learn how to open a coconut or something, it's always the mother teaching the young monkeys the feeding habits it's like how to eat it how to deal with it 
And the behavior had grown to a complex tradition involving the buds, the fruits, the leaves, the shoots, and bark of hundreds of species of plants. So this one day, when putting the sweet potatoes on the island, the, this young 18-month-old uh, monkey came up. Her name was Imo. It could be Emo, but I'm going with Imo. Emo, Dad. It's not a phase. It's a lifestyle. Exactly. <laughs> Where are you? Dance, dance. Swing, swing from the tables of... Oh, God. Leave all that oh in there. Oh, my goodness. That's a new graphic for a t-shirt. We're going to have a fucking monkey on it named Emo. We're going to give it, like, long hair. Does it cross on the face? <laughs> Jenko jeans. It's just not a phase. All right. So there was this young 18-month-old female named Imo. She solved the problem by carrying the potatoes down to the water and washing them before eating them. Not only did it clean them off, but it gave them a new taste. So she was incredibly smart with problem solving. In monkey terms, what she did was cultural revolution, really. It involves abstraction, the identification of concept, and deliberate manipulation of several parameters in the environment. So earlier when I was saying that the mothers usually teach their children how to feed, well, Ima, or Imo taught her mother how to clean the potatoes. And then she started to teach her playmates how to do it, and it kind of started to spread around. So step by step, this new culture spread through the colony. With each new conversation taking place in full view of the observers doing the research, and they kept constant... Uh, eye on them during the daylight hours. So we fast forward to 1958. By then, all the juveniles were washing dirty fruit. But the only adults over five years old were the ones who had learned directly from the imitation of their children. So Imo even managed to figure out how to separate sand from grain by putting it in the water and the grain would float so she could eat it. There's, this thing was apparently genius. I don't know why they didn't take her for studies personally. <laughs> but it was like little things that she'd do, like putting her hand in the water. It's heavier, so the sand would sink. Anywho, so she taught that, but it didn't pick up as quickly. But eventually there were others in the group that didn't know, that did know how to do this. Okay. So the reason I bring up this theory is because, well, this phenomenon that's happened is when the these these monkeys learned how to do this washing of the potato well w there is a hypothetical number they call it the hundredth monkey theory but they don't really know the exact number but the way it goes is that supposedly one day that hundredth monkey learned how to do this and that hit a critical mass and that shifted something it shifted the energy in the monkeys and made them become conscious of this action. They may not know how to do it right now, but it is part of their mind. And this was observed when other monkeys on other islands started to also clean potatoes that had sand on them, even though they had not been taught by anybody else. They just started to do it. So on the island of Takasakiyama, reported this in their findings, that colonies of monkeys on other islands and the mainland troop of monkeys at Takasakiyama began washing these sweet potatoes. 
and that the new behavior patterns spread to most, but not, but not all, of the monkeys. Older monkeys in particular remained steadfast in their established behavior patterns and resisted change. When the new behavior patterns suddenly appeared among monkey troops on other islands, only a few monkeys on those islands picked up on the new idea. The ones most receptive to new ideas started imitating the new behavior and demonstrating it to the impressionable younger ones. Thus, they too began their own path towards the eventual hundredth monkey effect. Because, you know, the more that do this, the more they're going to spread this knowledge through, right? So, that is the hundredth monkey effect and how it started. Now, something that I wanted to bring up is when this happens, the thought is that it's a synchronization process where waveforms of energy sync up with one another. The mind and consciousness have long been associated with frequency and rhythmic patterns. So depending on what the monkey's consciousness is aware of, from learn is uh, is aware of from learning with his mind, he would match a frequency more like the other monkeys, open to expanding their knowledge. So, have you guys ever heard of synchronizing metronomes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, I have a video of it. I'll post for anyone that doesn't know. So what happens is, if you don't know what a metronome is. I don't do music, but basically it's something that gets you to get your beat going. This is the thing that's like tick, 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 tick. And you start, you could have, this can happen on any amount of uh, metronomes, but let's just say you had seven and you set them all off at different times. They're going to be doing like ding, 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 ding. They're on their whole other thing. But then in a very short time, they sync up with each other and they start to move together. So that is the the way that I interpret all these like scattered energies with no direction. And then finally you line up with something and then you you ride that sync you know, wave together. I know you guys can see me on the on that are listening now, but I'm just like rocking. It becomes a a movement together. So I would love to be able to apply this in humans. All right. So I'm going to bring this in the terms of humans. What if this is how civilizations around the world were building the same kind of structures around the same time? There's usually a little delay as each new society reaches its critical mass, but could this explain how same building techniques can be found where there is no way for them to have communicated directly, like the Egyptians and the Mayans, people building pyramids 8,000 miles apart with no way of communicating about it? Maybe it was influenced, let's say, by aliens and that knowledge just continued to grow in the community, and then it spread. It it reminds me also of the Black Light Night satellite stuff, where then that knowledge is beamed down to you, or in this case, it's kind of just hanging out in that same energy field, and then you raise up to that energy level, and then it's like, oh, dude, you guys ever think about doing this? Let's put these, like, rocks in this way and make this pyramid, and then you try it. So... With less people on the world at that time, it would have been a lot easier to align more people with the same thought, which translates to energy that vibrates out the same frequency. There is a harmony in that. I recently came across a TikTok creator by the name of Dan Lucas Arts, 
Now, I'd seen his TikTok before, and for some reason, I, I forgot about it. And that's where I learned about the hundredth monkey effect and maybe how it can work with universal consciousness. And with this, he's trying to start something new, trying to spread a message of I am you, writing it around the town, chalk, you know, don't destroy anything, but just something to remind and have us all on the same page and try to have this monkey effect really work on in person. So that's something that he's working on. Um, all right, we're going to go into a little bit of like, I guess you can call high thoughts with Anna, but really it's deep talk. So for years, there have been scattered thoughts in all of us, like the initial tick of that metronome, trying to find the direction we need to go and allowing ourselves to fall into cookie cutter lifestyles, go to school, get married, have kids and work for 40 years. But where do you live in that lifestyle? We spend so much of our lives working to simply be on this planet. If you look at the collective as a whole, it is geared in a materialistic, fear-based consciousness. So that is what we are attracting and creating in this world. Because we have let society control us, or we think we need these big houses and three TVs and seven Echo Dots because, wow, they can all sync up. Our uniqueness has been taken away from us. All the cars look the same. You decorate your house the same as every other modern mother of three with your wooden welcome board on your porch and books with the covers removed on the spine with your family's names stamped on it. Cookie cutter. Where is your individuality? Your mind has been controlled since you have been born. What is okay is based on what society says. But you are not society. You are one person making up a mass of others who have fallen victim to a world based on creating fear for control and lies to keep us there. I heard this amazing, again, TikToker who wrote this in her journal, and I'm giving her credit because I paraphrased a piece of it. So her name is Allie Cater. And the way that she said this about society is, politics were created to keep us separated. Convenient and unhealthy foods keep us slow and sick and are profited off of. The education system is to teach us to be compliant and build self-doubt, spending eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, learning history that is made up, and not allowing our individuality to shine through. Preparing us to, for being adults where we do the same thing. Work our lives away. The elite thrive off of our suffering and have learned to profit from all of it. There is a reason we aren't taught meditation, self-love, farming, positive thinking, and just living. For these are the things that they cannot profit off of. They, are also, they also know if these things were taught, love in all forms would spread so rapidly that we would be more in touch with our roots and rely less and less on the corporations we have been relying on for hundreds of thousands of years. Or the corporations just in thousands, but just the elite society. We would be free. Everything in our society is trying to create a, a divide in people all over the world, from racism to political parties to schmackschmeen or no schmackschmeen. Hell, even sports teams. All of us have been focusing on our little world, trying to make sure we can afford the life we have been trying to live. You're probably asking me, well, Anna, how can we change this then? Some kind of version, in my opinion, some kind of version of the hundredth monkey effect. Or what if we shifted our focus to something more meaningful than paying bills? I'm sure y'all have heard about the Great Awakening, 
that is what we're experiencing right now. More and more people waking up to the fake crap happening in the world, the manipulation, the masses finally realizing we have to take control if we expect change in the world. This is the common mind that we're needing here for this monkey effect. It wouldn't be the first time like that we've come together. We have we've had mass meditations. The most uh, notable one in recent times is the December 21st one last year. But there was actually one in 1974 that had an experimental study that observed three different gatherings of over 7,000 people meditating each morning and evening for three consecutive weeks. The results were astounding. According to the RAND Corporation, which we talked about them, mm-hmm. so they are very tied in with this kind of stuff, they said the acts of global terrorism resulting in fatalities and injuries were reduced by 72%. Dang. Yeah, and that was only 7,000 people. Could you imagine the impact if we all got on this kind of mindset, trying to live with unconditional love and do good, that kind of stuff, and be consistent? We can't because of the media. The media sensationalizes everything, So social media. They do it for the clicks. They want to keep you depressed and down. Exactly. But this is where we have the power because you choose to let those type of things control you. You can always take yourself out of a situation. I got off of certain media platforms because I did not like how negative they were. We can make that change. I'm not on any social media platforms, no. All right, so scientists believe that this was due to a coherent resonance being created in the unified quantum field by those meditating. So I don't know if you guys know anything about the Schumann resonance, but it's kind of like the heartbeat of the Earth. When there are uh, spikes of energy or solar flares and stuff, they'll get picked up on this. But I have a picture of the Schumann resonance on December 21st, and it is it is spiked. You can see where we all came together for that mo- that uh, mass meditation, how it actually affected Earth's uh, energy fields. So, again, bringing in that thought that if we all are on the same mission, doing the good for the planet, it actually makes a difference. So, with that meditation on the 21st, what if that helped us reach a critical mass as a society for more and more people to wake up? And that it helped the collective, uh, helped create a stronger collective connection. So, let's say that these global efforts come together. And they prove to impact the planet in some way. Wouldn't it make sense that if enough people just start to do something different that benefits not only you, but others, that we could start to spark others to try something different? And you may learn it is actually better. It actually works better doing it that way. If you lead your life trying to live with compassion, gratitude, and no judgment in every situation, being able to let go of what no longer serves you, you will live happier days, and your energy affects the rest of the world. Like when you're having a bad day, and some random person tells you something that you really needed to hear, in that instant, your mood changes, your energy shifts, and that completely changes your day. All from some rando that came up to you living his life for himself, being happy, and just feeling like that person needs a compliment. Went and gave it, and then that energy continues to 
flow through others because now you're going to be, you got out of your negative energy into this positive one and now you want to spread that to someone else because it made you feel so good. That's like, again, that monkey effect. We are all going on that same mind frame of being good to one another no matter what. If we kept doing this, eventually the world will catch on. But we have to be consistent with it. And the energy will continue to change for the betterment of humanity as a whole. So let's see if this monkey effect can work, shall we? When you wake up in the morning, say, I am you. And if you find, find yourself in moments of judgment or thinking of someone in a way that isn't nice, remind yourself, I am you. And you are not alone. If we get enough people to spread unconditional love, it is only a matter of time before we see the hundredth monkey effect working on a global scale. So if you change your mind, you could change the world because your vibe attracts your tribe and energy is a real thing. So if we all go on that same mindset, we're going to produce the same energy and we're going to make this world a better place. But you have to be consistent with it. That is my thoughts on the monkey effect and how we can use it to change the world. Well, thank you. You're welcome. That was a good TED Talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thanks for staying at my TED Talk. You know, I was thinking, like when you started talking about the monkeys... Literally, I'm like, did they make a movie about that? Like, Planet of the Apes? Is that, like, based off of that? Ooh. I have actually never seen any of those. Oh. But I wonder. I'd recommend it. I've heard good things. The old ones are still good, right? Like, the originals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The newest Planet of the Apes. I watched that one probably, like, last year sometime. And, you know, it was just it starts off with, you know, of course, they're doing experiments on the monkeys. Side note. We don't know anything about animals that much, so. But no, like, they did experiments on them and all that. And this this one that, you know, I guess was the top one, was ended up starting to teach the other ones how to do certain things. And pretty much they all started, like, following suit. And that's when they started, like, an uprising and pretty much beating the shit out of humans. Kind of like a hive mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's just the... The dawn of a hive mind right there. Yeah, I don't know much about hive minds, but I just, to me, that makes me think of no individuality. And when I am imagining what this is going to be, it's people who genuinely care about others and want to help them, but also still taking care of their own lives and t and not relying on everybody else around them to do what they need to help them get things done. Like you could have a community for that. But we are so reliant on everything around us from Amazon to Walmart. Name me one local farmer or butcher that you know personally. Bob Haggins sells meat. Well, the Burgesses, where I used to grow up, um, this really cool dude. Uh, I'm sure they're not going to like it if I say their last name. But they got one of the most unique barns in the United States of America, one of the first ones built of its kind. Uh, their horse also was in the World Fair back in 1905 and won first place. Mm, nice. I know the guy that we just bought my, part of my brother's truck for him. He has a, was it cattle farm? And he's actually starting up a shrimp farm, which that's actually pretty interesting. I told him I'm coming back to 
get some shrimp from him, but I want to see what it's like. All right. Well, thank you, Anna, for that excellent theory this week. You're welcome. No, I like that. That kind of scary. Thinking about the monkeys, though. Yeah. About them learning? <laughs> learning and then teaching other ones to... If, you, if you've seen Planet of the Apes, then that kind of scares you about mm. it. Well, let's say we came from apes. We're just doing the same thing. I mean... You watch... Tell me this. You watch a TikTok video and you're like, that's the most genius way to do this thing that I've been doing so inconveniently my whole life. And then you now mimic what you just learned from somebody else because it's an easier way to do whatever that is. I, I think one I saw, I don't have a purse, but this like chick showed how to like make her purse into a bag. And girls who wear purses, use purses were like, oh my God, that's so amazing. What the? Wait, a purse is not a bag? Like an over the shoulder bag? Oh. Like a backpack? I was just like, I thought it was a bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get, yes, Dan, it is a bag. Oh, so it's like a backpack. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just like, I know you guys have seen those videos. You're like, I was today's, today years old when I learned this type of thing. And then you're like, I'm doing that way for now on. I was today years old when I found out there was an alternate ending to I Am Legend. Some bullshit. Yeah. Which, what, which one did you, did you find out? The sad ending. Oh, where the butterfly? Yeah, and I found out there was a good ending where, you know, he lives. I'm like, what the hell? When? Like, how? Like, why? I always thought there was a sad ending. It was like, you already had to hurt your dog. Now you blow yourself up. Mm-hmm. Now, but here it is. Here you're surviving because you gave back the guy his girlfriend. All right. Well, that's the end of the show today. Uh, I guess we'll move on to On the Scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you're not familiar with On the Scene, it is where... Any individual, even you, yes, you, the listener, can go out and interview uh, individuals on the street and ask them their current opinion on current conspiracies and happenings around the world. And uh, just make sure that if you do decide you want to do this, that the recording is less than 120 seconds long. That's two minutes, less than two minutes. And you could submit it to us uh, by your email addresses. And we take... Patreon supporters get priority in uh, plays, so that's just a little heads up. But this week, our On the Scene is from the Murphys, so we'll play that right now. Howdy, this is April. I'm coming to you from College Station, Texas, and I'm on the scene with a gunner who's 10 and Gage who's 8. All right, guys, you know that mommy is a huge conspiracy theorist about everything, and I want to ask you a couple of questions to find out if you're going to be like one of us or one of the others. Let's talk about the moon. Do you believe we landed on the moon? Just no. one at a time. No. Why not? Because how did they know how much fuel they needed to get there? How did they know? Well, they're going to say math, but I think it's bullshit because if they'd never been there before... How did they know the construction they needed to build on the spaceship to get there? Okay. Uh, how does the flag move when there's no wind in the space? Oh, good question. Those are good answers. Okay. What about um, aliens? Do you guys believe in aliens? Oh, uh, yes. What makes you believe in aliens? Um, just does because... Mike Wazowski count? No. Sorry. Mike Wazowski doesn't count. He's an animator. Okay, 
what about Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, I believe in Bigfoot. What about Bigfoot? Do you believe? Um, that he's... Okay, sorry. We are all out of time. So tune in to us next time, and we will talk to y'all later. <laughs> she cut him off. Yeah, dude. You re- re-record that, and you get the answer about Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, my God, April. It's like, what, oh my god! I mean, I'm not gonna lie. That kid had the not the flag moving, the legit. How they know how much fuel it took to get up there? That is a very good point. No amount of math can tell you that. It is funny though, April. Aaron did mouth math, and then you're like, yeah. "Uh, they're gonna say math." He sure did. But I agree with your kid. I like. How do you really know? We've never been out there. It's funny. I. I almost did that topic on Space Bubbles this week. But that's, we have got to do an episode on NASA, dude. The Space Bubble thing. They're going to cut our internet off. (laughs) Yeah, they'll cut our internet off. Yeah, let's not do that. So you want to expose bits and pieces of the world and choose what people get to know? Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, how are we, how are we going to record with no internet? Well, they haven't taken us out for Epstein, uh, Pedophile Month, Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma City bombing was close. Epstein's <laughs> not that important anymore. Back when we released it. Yeah, it's Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, it's, it's Ghislaine Maxwell now. But that's now. We released this episode a long time and he ago. He was already old news by the time the episode came out. Everybody had kind of forgot about him. Yeah, and you know, if they did make a big deal out of it, then they're like, oh, so they did remove that. So something did happen that's fishy. Hmm. Yeah, let's just screw with their, like, release time real quick. Teach them a lesson. All right. Thank you, uh, Murphys, for, you know, leaving us that excellent on the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the audio quality really good. You know, I like the questions. You cut off Bigfoot question, but, you know. You had four seconds to go. Yeah. Well, she had 30 more seconds. I thought yeah, you said... Yeah, she had 30 more. Well, this time... Well, you said two minutes. 90 se- I thought he said 90 seconds. Oh, 90 seconds, 120 seconds. Just make it less than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think under two is a good idea. Two or under. Which is 120 yeah. seconds for math. But... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was great, April. I appreciate you. Your kids are, are definitely one of us. Yeah, Michael Wazowski's an alien. We don't know what he is. That's right. Mm-hmm. He's green. Yep. One eye. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move to shout outs this week. All right. I'll start off with Instagram. I wanted to shout out. I have a lot of shout outs. A lot. So I'm just going to start going down. I'm okay, guys. Um, and if I missed you, send me a message again and I will get back to you. Shout out to. Nano G, Nathaniel S from Fredericksburg, Texas, Bobby S, Maddie J, Asia, Luke L, Michael C, Brian M, Dylan or Dylan, yeah, he Daniel son was right. He said it's Dylan, not Dylan. Shout out to you, uh, Billy, Vince Vaughn. Um, Ezra, James, Travis, Andrew, Michael E, Ruby H, Sheepdog, Jeff L, 
Courtney B, James N, Travis S, Christian, Giovanni F, Anthony C, Newlane Flux, Prius X, Noah, Morgan C, Chris C, Holly M, C.A. Dang. <laughs> Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Miguel S, Chris P, and Dason. Shout out to all you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, for the love. Sending it right back to you. That's my Instagram shout outs for this week. All right, Dan, what do you got for Facebook shout outs? So for Facebook, I have Ruby H, Jeremy and Kim G, Stephanie A, Becky L, Alan J, and Bobby C. Then uh, for, I had one on Patreon about two weeks ago. Since last week we didn't uh, get to, or we didn't do shout out. Wolfie from Patreon. I told you I'd get you a shout out, buddy. Then, uh, of course, shout out to Eat My Shorts off of Discord. That's the end of my shout outs. All right, Anna. What do you got for uh, Twitter shout outs? All right. So I have also a lot. So I'm just going to scurry on through. Uh, Jamie is making my own coins. Commented that we did an awesome job on the on the... I thought this was the Oklahoma City thing. Sorry, he he commented this on almost a billion doses of administered. Oh, oh, it's a picture of the Georgia Guidestones, and he, it's a meme that says almost a billion doses administered so far, and then says this is a totally unrelated photo <laughs> of the Georgia Guidestones, but uh, I'm gonna guess that has to do with prophecy. Anyways, so Jamie is making my own coins. Uh, here's your shout out, friend. Thomas G, Stephen Paul gave an image to you, Aaron, for the Happy Valley Dreams episode, and it's a skeleton looking down at glasses, and it's watching you, Aaron. Nice. I'm down. Come on, get some. Blah. Yeah, I like that. Daddy's waiting for you. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> All right. So... Dr. Chup said, I love the Coral Castle episode. Just spent the best time with my 77-year-old dad watching YouTube videos on the castle. Totally made his day. And then some guy named Shane, Shane Helio said, I'll show you my Coral Castle. Just let me know when you want to book in. <laughs> what a <Yeah>. dick. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, I know. Man. It's funny. I though. know. Um, next one is Frijoles. Is that how you say that? Frijoles. 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 Was that beans? This person said, Hey, y'all, been hearing that you guys have set up shop in Maine. As a native Mainer myself, I feel, I feel a connection to your newfound love of the land. Any chance you could dive into a Maine native conspiracies in future episodes? You know, there's a couple UFO incidences that I want to get into. All right. So another shout out is to Anthony S., He's been listening to us, and he's impressed. He has so many theories about so many different things, and he also has many experience stories, ghost, demonic, and tra uh, trauma. He said, anyways, keep up the good work. Uh, oh, wait, I gotta send you guys this picture, because this was too hilarious. I forgot this. Stephen Paul, the same guy who sent the meme for you, Aaron. Logan? He sent... Uh, no, Stephen Paul. Just that. 
Here's the picture coming your way. He said, new hat came in and I fixed it for Thursday. It's a one of our merch hats. Did it come through? Oh, nice. Oh, nice. hell so, like, yeah. And he put a bunch of foil <laughs> around it, like a tinfoil hat. I got the same hat. All right. Stephanie Wilson, Jeff Churchill. I have a special request for a Bernhard Spiffington. You requested my voice to say your name. Well, here it is. Bernhard Spiffington. Beautiful name. And I also have a shout out to my man from Discord, Harry Scallywag. Dude, I hope that you've been recovering really uh, quickly from your surgery. Slickers and the family on Discord wanted to make sure that you are doing okay and letting you know that we love you and that we are sending healing energy to you, my friend. You will be shredding on your guitar before you know it. And my last shout out goes to my man Carl at Dying Light Creations. He made me this bomb-ass tie-dye shirt and the space-themed long-sleeve shirt that I am like, I'm, I was rocking today until my camera made my face go white because it couldn't see me anymore. But I changed my shirt, so I'm going to put it back on. But anyways, it's amazing. Um, if you guys like tie-dye, check out Dying Light Creations. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's all my shout-outs today. Thank you for listening. To my TED talk. <laughs> nice. Dan, do you got any you you have a couple more shout outs, right? Yeah. So this one was from the whole Discord family to Amy Marie. Just know that we love you and that we are proud of you and we miss you. Nice. Mm. We love you. All right. So mm. I got a couple birthday shout outs real quick. But before I do that, Hans, give me your shout outs. Oh, dude, I was about ready to sing happy birthday. All right, so we'll save that beautiful ear bleeding thing for later. Mm. Um, let's see. This week I'm going. I've got some Discord shoutouts. Um, Tasha MJ. Uh, she wanted a, a special shout out, and because she just thought that me mentioning her for the Theories Thursday topic just wasn't good enough. Well, here's a better one. I hope this one fills you up with all that that. That good shout out feel, that vibe, just for you. Ciara, I told you I'd get you a shout out last week, but didn't realize that we were going to get so deep into the Oklahoma City. So this is your shout out. Um, Shout out to, of course, Minx, my wife from Australia, whom I love very dearly. And I hope that this is a better shout out than the, the last one, apparently. And we're going to shoot over here to Patreon because there were just, just a couple that I have to shout out. Michael, yeah, the only thing that made your, you know, wiener shrink was that I said Slayer sucks. And I'm sorry that I stand behind that, but you should listen to Megadeth far better. <laughs> dun, 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 but dun, dun, yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, when you listen to it, it's more like government conspiracies when you listen to their lyrics. Um, also, Evler Galarga, Galarga, I'm sorry if I'm really butchering your name. Um, I love that you did your hemi-sync and that you dreamed that Anna and Dan and I were there with you. I'm sorry that you woke up and it was just a dream, but it really wasn't. We were all there. 
Yeah, dude. We just had to like hit you with the men in black, a uh, little nebulizer. <laughs> but, whoop, yeah. Can't remember yeah. this because you know our exactly. faces. Um, and then lazy nine oh nine. Your comment at the bottom. My girl caught me tugging on my wiener after this episode. <laughs> you, this is your special shout out. I'm glad she caught you. She probably liked it too. <laughs> and uh, thin, li- thin Glizzy and the boys can't forget about you. Nice. No, never. Nice. All right. Uh, I just saw one from Punk RX on Discord. It said that this show has come so far from the first days. I remember finding the show when you had a handful of episodes. And I have been hooked since. I love the crew and the humor and facts you bring. I have tried to listen to other conspiracy podcasts, but none compare. You guys are relatable, never monotone, and each brings something different to the table. I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. Welcome. I haven't seen you yet on here, but I saw that just now and I'm like, I gotta shout this man out. Appreciate you. Very nice. And then... The very last one I have is Logically Unbiased. Um, I appreciate the conversation that we had. And uh, just thank you for being such a pure heart. Nice. Oh, my bad. I do have two more. The Texas Boy 713. Yeah, we love you and we're proud of you too, bud. And I'm not an alien. And yeah, no, he's not. Trust me. We've probed that, probed every (laughs) orifice on Dan's body. That's all human. That's right. Oh. Yeah. And then Tab, you said, keep lighting up my life. Thank you. But I'll make this thing a fucking solar flare if I have to, just so you can be that lit up. Boom. Nice. Get Liddy McSplitty, boy. Nice. I thought I got one more chance. I'm so sorry. I love you. And I'm really sorry. I have forgot about you till right now. But um, you have an amazing day, dude. I'm still going to email you. I promise. I promise. I promise. Sending you love and light. All right. The oh, final two shout outs. <laughs> no, fuck it. We're going the final two <laughs> shout outs. You save them for next week. We got two birthdays to say. One to Alex Mendoza. Wants to say his birthday's coming up. Can I get a birthday shout out? Another thing I want to say is I love you and I'm proud of you. Well, you know what, Alex? Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Alex, happy birthday. Love you. Aaron's like, I'm not doing the whole thing. <laughs> No. no, that's good. No, I think we're good with that. One more shout out uh, to Allie S. Uh, her birthday was this past Friday, so we missed her uh, birthday. But shout out to you. And uh, she wants to know if she can get a, I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the I want to feel the heat with somebody. somebody. I that's all you get. The rest is going to cost you. But happy birthday to you. Sorry we couldn't get you last week, and uh, love you, proud of you, love you, and proud of everybody and all their support and their love. Without you, this would not be possible. That's right. Mm-mm. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. All right. Oh. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today, and again, thank you for all your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan Anan Hans, you want to roll us out? You already know. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone. Nice. Boom. (laughs) 
Do you follow automotive news or do you just like cars and want to see what the heck's going on? Well, then you might like Donut Media's new podcast, The Big Three. Hi, I'm James Pumphrey. And every week, me and my co-host slash two of my top five friends, Nolan Sykes and Joe Weber, unpack the latest and greatest in automotive news and trends on The Big Three. You'll also get a lot of laughs, hot takes, and personal insight on cars from the biggest car guys in automotive media. So, whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes, up, that's a good-looking car, <laughs> check out The Big Three, available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube.